Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name's Kate. I'm married to Tim. No hair, guitar, that sort of thing. Um, and we have two girls um, and we've been part of the team here at Redemption Hill since it started, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and if you don't know me very well, um, I have a talent for doing embarrassing, awkward things, which I've had my whole life. And I remember being in my 20s and sort of, you know, in the, in the throes of um, identity crisis and saying to God, like, why did you make me this way? Like, why is it always me who does the embarrassing thing? Um, and I actually felt like he said to me, so you will always have a story to tell. Um, so this is, this is God redeeming my personality for your benefit. Actually, I have a friend in Sydney who has said to me for many years, um, Kate, I feel like God's given you the spiritual gift of amusement, um, which I share freely with you today. Um, and I really felt, this is not a very spiritual moment, but yet somehow it's tied in. Last Sunday when we were worshipping, I felt like God brought this story back to my mind. So I've been um, a classroom teacher before. Um, I'm an educator. And um, I was teaching in Southwest Sydney. And Term 1 and Term 4 in Southwest Sydney, regularly our daytime temperatures sat between 30 and 38. And actually, if it got over 38, lunchtime was like sprinklers on water fight free-for-all because we had no air conditioning. Um, and so we're in the classroom sweltering and the recess bell goes. Um, so I send my class out. Uh, and as they're leaving, I can hear these screams in the bag area. And they're like, Mrs. Oliver, there's a snake. Um, now, this story's not really about the snake, by the way, but it, it, it's always exciting when there's a snake around. But in New South Wales, the eastern brown snake, it's not like our lovely little tiger snakes. I call them lovely because they're actually quite shy. They'd prefer not to see you, so they kind of get out of the way. Um, but the brown snake is known for being a little bit aggro. And so it was curled up on the doorstep as I sent 25 primary school kids out to the bag area. And I'm just terrible in emergencies. I'm awful. I just freeze. I do weird things. I can't think straight. Um, and so in my wisdom... The way I decided to handle this emergency situation um, was to grab the PE sports cones. You know the little witches hats, like the fluoro-coloured things, traffic cones? Um, and I <laughs> surrounded the snake in its hiding spot with the traffic cones. <laughs> now you can see the problem with my emergency procedure here. Um, is that no one has told snakes about the power of the traffic cones. Um, and so once I had done that, I still had to stand there with the snake to make sure I knew where the snake was because it was just going to leave at any time. Um, but in my mind, we have been taught from a very young age about the power of high-vis traffic cones, haven't we? We all know the protocol. You see them, you don't cross them. It's supposed to mean something. Now, in reality, they have no power. I'm not a very tall person. <laughs> you can just step over a traffic cone. You can step between them. You can kick them over out of the way. You can move them if you want to. They have no actual power other than what we all agree as society. If you see a line of traffic cones, it means don't cross them. <laughs> and so that is what I decided to do about the snake. Uh, and later on in the staff room, 
as I was explaining what I did, they went, hmm, did the snake know <laughs> about the power of the traffic cones? Um, but what I want to talk about today, uh, I, I want to call this no shame. I really felt in the last few weeks that God was really highlighting the experience of shame, what it feels like, where it comes from, and some of the lies that it tells us, and why God's kingdom is so different, and we don't actually have to live in it. Um, so that, is that okay? We're going to talk about shame, and then we're going to talk about two lies about that shame tells us, and then two stories that Jesus told, or about Jesus, that set us free. So firstly, I want to talk about, well, where does it come from, the origin of shame? Um, And I was just talking to some people about emotions. That's my day job now. Um, But I was just rolling off about emotions and how, you know, they're actually a gift from God because they help us navigate situations and and they teach us what to do and they help us ask for help and all these good things. And then I got to the emotion of shame and I drew a blank. It's like, actually, I can't think of a single good thing that shame does for us. And I thought, well, that's interesting because it was outside of my knowledge of my day job. Um, and when I looked it up in the Word, it's interesting that it didn't exist in the beginning. They make it very clear that it didn't exist in God's perfect plan from the beginning. Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked. It's always funny when I say naked in church. Um, But they were completely seen by each other, but they were not ashamed. Okay, So it didn't exist when things were good, when God's kingdom was in reign. So I can only assume from that that shame doesn't actually belong to God's kingdom. It belongs to the kingdom of darkness. So in Genesis 3, 8 to 10... It says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of day. When, as, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. Now, if you remember why they were hiding, so it was normal for God to walk about the garden in the cool of the day, it says. So it was really regular for him to come and hang out with them in the beginning. That's relationship, isn't it? That's beautiful. But after... The snake incident, which is different to my snake incident. I'm sorry it was a snake. I wish it was a different creature so we don't get confused. But after they had made a choice, not for God's rule and reign, but to do things their own way, their immediate response was when God came near, was to run and hide. Verse 9, But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the man replied, I heard you moving about in the orchard. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So something about shame, our gut reaction is to not be seen for who we really are. So how does shame get in? It's probably worth talking about the difference between guilt and shame. Sometimes they're said often together, um, but they are different. There's a different distinction. So guilt is the emotional response that we have to an action that we've taken. Okay, we do something, we sense that it's outside of our values um, or that it wasn't right or that it affected somebody else and we actually have a physical reaction to that. Our body feels uncomfortable. Our temperature goes up, our heart rate goes up and it's that energy in our body that prompts us to make things right, 
That's what guilt is for. Um, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For sadness as intended by God produces a repentance that leads to salvation, leaving no regret. But worldly sadness brings about death. And this is the difference. They've used the word sadness, but that's the difference between guilt and shame. So guilt is intended to give us this response that says, I need to make this right. And we go and make it right. It's supposed to be a short-term burst of energy that you need to come back to God and to come back to relationship with other people when there's been a problem. But this worldly sorrow the world talks, the Bible talks about, that's shame. And worldly sorrow or shame does nothing for us. We just sit with it. We feel the emotion of it. We feel the reaction for it. But there's nothing to do with it other than to sit with it. And the reason is that shame is the emotions we feel about the self. We feel broken, wrong, out of place, like we don't belong. Um, and like it's always, we're always going to be unworthy or un, not valuable. Um, and we sit with that because how do we fix that? There's something broken in us. So it's the emotion that we feel about ourselves, which is different to the emotion we feel about our action. But shame can come in when over time we ponder and we dwell on mistakes that we've made. And we feel the guilt of those. And over time, guilt can transform into shame. So we can say, well, I did a dumb thing. Well, I did a dumb thing. Well, I did a dumb thing. I'm dumb. So it can morph into one or the other if we don't deal with the guilt short term when we need to. The second way that shame can get in is that stuff can just happen when we're little. That's not our fault but our perception is that it's our fault. And if you don't mind me going into a bit of brain science developmental stuff, because that's my space, um, the reason for that is when we're little, God has designed our brains to be incredibly focused on the circle around us. We say that kids are developmentally egotistical, and it is right. The world revolves around them. That's how they feel. Because it does, they have to live in this close circle where the world revolves around them because that's how they learn an entire language. That's how they learn how the world works. That's how they learn how to not cross the traffic cones because they're absorbing what the people around them are doing so closely. But it has this effect of feeling like they're the centre of the world. And the transition from childhood to adulthood is that journey you take where you realise the world doesn't revolve around you. And there are actually many people. But while we're growing up and while the world revolves around us, when things go wrong, it's really easy for us in our inexperience of life and at the stage that our brain is growing to assume or interpret things as being our fault. Okay? So we can actually have false guilt that turns to shame. The third way shame can get in um, is that someone else can just talk trash over you. They can just say stuff that's not true. You're dumb. You don't fit in. You're not cool enough. All of these things that happened, they're your fault. <laughs> it's not true stuff. And sometimes we can even logically think, yeah, okay, that can't be true. But our heart absorbs it. 
especially if it's repeated and repeated and repeated, or if it's said by someone that you look up to. Um, So we can take on those things, even though they're not true. The power of words exists in making us feel wrong and broken. And the fourth way that shame can get in is that we have made mistakes and stuff has happened, um, but we just want to keep it secret and hidden and unhealed. And sitting there festering, we know that it's there and without doing anything about it and working with it, um, it can turn to I'm wrong, I'm just broken at, at a fundamental level. So all that to say, the encouragement today is that shame does not belong to God's kingdom. It doesn't belong in God's kingdom and it is not for the people who live in God's kingdom. We just talked about the covenant relationship with, we have with Jesus. He chose us. We choose him back. That's how close our relationship with him is. And we've been restored when he reigns in our lives. And when we enter his kingdom, shame doesn't actually get to play. It doesn't get a, a, a part of that. So my question is, why do we still live with it? If you've met Jesus at some point in your life, it's still possible for shame to be part of your daily life, how you're walking it out. So why does it affect us all so much? Um, You know, this spiritual reality that Jesus says, you know, I chose you. We are in a love covenant relationship. You are his children. That's what he says, but sometimes it takes time for our inner world to catch up and we live differently. And shame is really sneaky because it thrives in darkness and in secrecy. So when we're not confident or comfortable bringing our true self out into the light with our friends and our family or our church family, shame sits there and just grows and grows and grows. And it becomes a pattern of believing um, that we've had for a long time. So we call that when we believe certain things over a long period of time, we call that a stronghold. It's not true, but the pattern of thinking remains. And it takes time to break this thing that you feel so deeply, which is I'm wrong or I don't fit or I'm broken. It takes time to undo that. So back to the traffic cones. (laughs) That's all shame is. It's just a line of traffic cones. It doesn't actually mean anything in the kingdom of God. He's very clear about that. The only reason that it has any power at all is because we believe it to be so and because we obey what we're feeling on the inside about what shame tells us. We believe the lies that shame tells us and it keeps us behind the traffic cones that we could actually just step over or kick over in a second. So we, have, we make this agreement with shame that we're going to live inside the limits. We're going to live a small life and not draw too much attention to ourselves because if people found out who we really were and what we've really done. All right, so we're going to go into two lies that shame tells us and two stories that prove that Jesus can set us truly free, really free. And that's what the takeaway from today is. Really, truly, Jesus has the power over the grave and over shame. 
He really does. He really does. So the first lie is this, the lie of I deserve to feel this way. And sometimes what we do in our brain is decide if I actually let go of feeling bad or wrong, I might make the same mistakes again. So I need to feel bad to keep me in a safe place where I show how sorry I am. And we want to stay there. We feel like it will actually honour God and the people that we've wronged more if we remind ourselves constantly of what we've done. And we end up feeling like we don't deserve forgiveness and we just live like that indefinitely. Or just something as simple as we become so used to feeling bad that it's familiar, that feels normal to us to feel bad about who we are. Um, And we all prefer familiar. We just do. As human beings, change is hard. So we sit in what feels familiar, even if it sucks. Because shame is not very fun. So, but we tolerate it. Um, we tolerate self-loathing because it's the way that it's always been and what we're used to. So here's another story about me. Um, when I was in primary school, I grew up on a dairy farm. And in school holidays, like it is now, we uh, were allowed to earn extra cash. We were very motivated by extra cash. You know, back 30 years ago, I think it was like a dollar an hour. But we used to get paid double for this job called rock carding. Has anyone been rock carding, stone carding? <laughs> some people who've lived on the land. So that's when you clear some new land. Um, and we were um, dairy farmers. So to make the chocolate that you love... You have to make the milk. To make the milk, the cows have to eat the grass. To make the most milk, to make the most chocolate, they have to eat the best grass. And the best grass grows when you have a good paddock. So um, it was called stone carting and they would churn up this new paddock. They take all the trees out, churn it all up. But if the soil was really rocky, what we all had to do was walk behind a tractor with a massive trailer on it, big group of people just walk behind pick up a rock out of the dust, throw it on the trailer for hours and hours and hours, which is why we got double pay because even the kids didn't want to do it for cash. Um, But there was this one moment uh, where we were all doing this, like all the farm labourers, all the kids, we were all walking along and Dad said, just hold for a minute, just hold, I've got to go fix something. And he walks across in front of the trailer. Now you can see where this story is going, can't you? I had a rock in my hand as he speaks... Slow motion. Now, in real life, I can't hit anything ever in real life. But in this slow motion story, the rock, this big, leaves my hand and hits my dad like Goliath style in the head. (laughs) Yep. Um, Now, do you know what I did? Guess. Think about the Garden of Eden situation. I ran and hid, yeah, immediately, just turned around, ran. (laughs) Um, And I didn't hide somewhere very sensible. I hid in the farm ute, which was very pointless, not a very good hiding spot because he had to get in it to drive home. So he found me very soon afterwards, um, you know, with his rag held up to his wound. I'm not sure how, I'm sure it was concussion, but anyway, farmers just work on, don't they? Um, He said, I know you didn't mean to. I forgive you, um, and hugged me. But I, I just couldn't. You know, shame just made me run. I didn't 
I couldn't start a conversation. I couldn't say sorry. I didn't know what to do. I just had to hide. Now, can you imagine, um, fast forward a few months and it's Christmas and we're all unwrapping the presents and mum and dad, you know, give you your big parent present. That's like the payload, isn't it? Because they've got the most money. So they give you this huge present from your parents. And I'm like, no, no, I can't accept that. Remember that time I hit you in the head with a rock? <laughs> or imagine fast forward to my wedding where my parents offer to pay for the reception and dad wants to walk me down the aisle and I'm like, no, I can't. Remember that time when I was a kid and I hit you in the head with a rock? So you can see what the lie of shame does. Okay? It ruins all the fun, all the fun. You know, if what Jesus has done restores us to right relationship with God, how it was always meant to be, then what he said of us in the beginning is still true. So if you know the creation story, God makes stuff on all of the six different days. He makes the sun, um, he makes the birds and the fish, he makes the stars and the oceans. And after each day he goes, good, good. And then he gets to day six makes humanity, Genesis 1.27, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Very good. If that was true then, it is still true in Jesus. We are very good. That's what he says over us as ourself, as our person. We are very good. His intention is that we are partners again, that we hang out daily in the garden again, just because we're in relationship the way it was always meant to be. But shame says, I can't actually let myself fully go into this relationship. I can't just hang out with Jesus and walk around with him because I need to remind myself that I don't deserve it. I have to hide. So how does that impact in our life? Well, it's not very much fun, <laughs> actually. Um, you know, and I was just reflecting um, on the goodbyes that some of the people in our church have had to say over the last few weeks um, and the privilege that it is to um, journey with people and, and serve them in that place and thinking, you know, I just reflected on that and what was so beautiful about that was... Um, I could hear people saying, how do I want to live? How do I want to live? What do I want people to be able to say of the life that I've lived? And living in this in-between space where we know Jesus but we live with shame, there's no joy in our relationship with Jesus. And it's really hard for us to find joy and connection truly with other people as well when we live in the in-between space. You know, our life with Jesus kind of becomes routine or we just feel like it doesn't have the same depth or the same oomph of life because it's scary to be close to someone when you live with shame. But I just feel like we could all say we don't deserve to be close to God and yet he's done it, he did it and he said for the joy set before him he endured death. He knew that good stuff was going to come out of it. Um, 
But sometimes we're like, okay, maybe if I stay here miserable, it'll show God I'm serious and it will bring him joy. (laughs) It'll bring him glory um, if I show how sorry I am. But there's no future in staying miserable. Um, Shame tells you joy, love, contentment, fun, connection. That's not for the likes of you. You stay behind the cones. You don't get that stuff. But what does Jesus want? (laughs) We can feel that and we can feel that very strongly, but it is not as true or as important as what God has said about our relationship with him. And I found this this story of what Jesus did, John chapter 8. The experts in the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught committing adultery. Caught. That's awkward, isn't it? They made her stand in front of them and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Are you feeling her embarrassment? In the law, law, Moses commanded us to stone to death such women. What do you say? Now, they were asking this in an attempt to trap him so they could bring charges against him. They were trying some little verbal gymnastics to, to cause trouble. But Jesus bent down and wrote in the ground with his finger, Never tells us what he wrote. It's a mystery. (laughs) But when they persisted in asking him, he stood up straight and replied, whoever among you is guiltless may be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. Now when they heard this, they began to drift away one at a time, starting with the older ones, until Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up straight and said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She replied, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. And Jesus kept it so simple. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus for past actions. I'm not saying there's not natural consequences, and I'm not saying that we don't feel compelled to put things right in this life. But the spiritual weight of shame is lifted so you can go. Get on with your life. Get on with living. You know, shame follows you around like a wet blanket and every time there's something fun or something good or there's some blessing that's about to happen, it just like, and you think, I don't deserve fun. I don't deserve good. And you step back from it and withdraw from all the good, fun things in in life. Um, It's not going to please God anymore to tap out of those things than it would to take hold of what he died for. Um, And if you're finding it hard to to feel that way, you know, I just encourage you to read that story again and again. Go and sin no more. Go and live your life. Not the same sin over and over again, just but go and do stuff. Go and help the world get put back together. Um, John 10.10 says, I've come that you have life and life to the full. So if you feel like you're living a half measure of your spiritual life, like a half level of joy, maybe there's a stronghold of shame in there and it really is time to break free and walk out Um, because it honours Jesus more and brings him more joy to see you fully alive, loving life, um, than punishing yourself because there's no future in it. There's no future in it. And it's not even of God's kingdom, is it? And it's not real. It's just a line of traffic cones. Second lie that shame tells us. The lie of this is as good as it's going to get. The power of secret hopelessness. 
Hopelessness is very powerful because its counterpart, hope, is extremely powerful as well. So if we secretly believe this is the way things are and we can't do anything about it and we accept the line of traffic cones as powerful, um, we live in that repetition and that acceptance and agreement of what's there and we stay bound. So how does a life, what does a life look like when we're bound by this is as good as it's going to get? Um, well, we believe that there's a limit to God's transforming power in us. He can save us, but that's as far as it goes. He can't actually use us. That we don't believe that being full of the power of the Holy Spirit is for us. That's for other people who are better than me. That there's no hope that things can and will get better. That you can't overcome strongholds and addictions and patterns that you've been living with for a long time. When we believe shame's lies, the limit of our spiritual life too, uh, we lose that energy and joy we have in following Jesus. And we have to re-divert that into something else. So when our spiritual life is here, sometimes we're like, ugh. That's not very inspiring. So we turn and put our energy into other things like career, renovating, <laughs> relationships, um, our, our hobbies and our passions. We get very good at them. I'm not saying all those things aren't good things. They are great things. But when those things are compensating for feeling stuck and like there's a limit to this part of our life, our spiritual life, um, it's, it's kind of a good thing being used to cover up, you know? And sometimes feeling stuck too um, can make us turn to unhealthy things as well, not just healthy coping strategies but unhealthy coping strategies where we feel um, that emotion of the self, so much angst in that, um, that we turn to things that temporarily relieve the pain, temporarily relieve the pain. And you know those things I'm talking about. I'm going to touch on them in a minute. So what does Jesus say? Another story. Not just stories about dumb things Kate's done. Today you get stories about things Jesus actually did and said, which is better. Luke chapter 15, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Can, are you imagining the Instagram feed of him squandering his life in wild living? You know what it looks like. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, isn't that a great sentence? Have you ever had a moment where you came to your senses? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put him on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now, God in his nature is compassionate. He is watching and waiting for any degree of heart turn. Now, I have a friend who always said, we are only ever one sincere prayer away. As soon as we come to our senses and our eyes are fixed back on home and we're looking for our father, his eyes are already there, already there, locked on, locking eyes, ready for you to come back. But shame tells us that there is such a thing in the kingdom as second-tier children. Second-tier children are children who used to be children, but they messed up too much. And now they have to live as second-tier they're allowed, they're allowed to be around, but they have to live out in the servants' quarters and they can't eat at the table. They have to do all their jobs first before they're allowed to um, integrate with the rest of the people. But have you ever known, I only noticed this as I was preparing, that the son doesn't even get to that part of the speech before the father cuts him off. He says, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get to let me live as a servant before the father cuts him off because it's not even an option. Nope. You get the robe, you get the ring, you get the sandals. Fully reinstated immediately in a moment because there's no such thing in God's kingdom as someone who has Jesus but has to live in shame. It doesn't exist. There's no halfway. There's only children, only children. But shame tells you you can't have that. It doesn't add up with what Jesus taught. It really doesn't. Shame is lying to you because it belongs to the kingdom of darkness and so logically it's going to lie to you. It would like nothing more than to steal your joy. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Kill your hope and destroy your future in him. Imagine being all the big cool stuff you'd like to do for Jesus and if you feel like you can't do those things for Jesus because you have to live here, That's where the lie is, isn't it? That you don't get to participate. You have to stay behind the traffic cones. So we've been feeling um, that God is on this for us as a church because we want this to be a community of people where the authentic is allowed. You know, that it's okay to come as we are, but God has more for us. He doesn't want us to come as, our, as we are um, with our perception that we have to be a servant in his house and hang around the fringes and not do any of the stuff because of the things that we've done. So we are thinking um, that next term, we'd like to really teach into that and minister into that. Um, Because shame and the internal pain that we have about who we are and all the things that we do to try and cover that up, that's where um, secret addictions thrive. 
Um, so secret habitual sin, which makes us withdraw from relationships. It makes us kind of put on our Christian persona if we've been walking with Jesus for a while um, because we're a little bit scared of people knowing our real struggles or um, how we really feel and it kind of leads us to, to a pretend experience of community and church. We don't want that. So we feel that right now the Holy Spirit is serious about taking these things on, which gives us a lot of hope. Um, because if he's on it and we obey, um, I think he really wants to bring freedom in this area. So if we can be brave enough and honest enough and gentle enough with each other um, and do some business with these strongholds, um, we really feel that God can set people free. Now, he can set people free in a moment, you know. When we come to our senses, we're only ever one sincere prayer away. But living it out on this side, if we have a pattern of behaviours and addictions, sometimes there's a biological and a psychological factor that that is a bit harder to get rid of and we need help and we need information and we need support to walk through those things. So we're offering next term, um, Tim and I are going to lead it up, um, something called Out of Online Addiction. Now anyone who's younger than me, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you how old I am, you can just imagine, anyone who's younger than me has grown up with a desktop and a phone in their pocket, with the worst that the world has to offer, one button away. Um, And when we feel shame and internal pain and angst and not sure who we are and all those things, that stuff has been right there to be our comfort and our temporary Band-Aid. And it's been really easy in a young phase of life or any phase of life to get stuck in online addictions like addiction to social media, um, online pornography, online shopping, all those kinds of things. Um, And so we're just opening up the doors and saying, you're welcome. If you're you're ready and you're done, um, we're going to be brave enough uh, and loving enough and real enough about what this world is like and the things that we're struggling with to walk through that. Um, So it's open to any adult. Now we're going to have some, some teaching time as a whole group. We're going to have breakout groups um, with some really great safe facilitators there um, and some time for prayer ministry and the Holy Spirit as well and to see what God's going to do. You know, we haven't done it before. This is new. We're creating it right now for such a time as this because we feel like this is what God wants to do. Um, so you'll be the guinea pigs, but, you know, <laughs> nothing risked, nothing gained. Got to risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> And I think it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, Because if this week has taught me anything, we don't want to live with a half measure of joy and knowing Jesus but living behind the traffic cones where we don't get to do any of the stuff. Um, And that's not what this church is. We've been talking about a priesthood of all believers. Everybody gets to do the stuff. Everybody is a child of God, fully reinstated with the ring and the authority that comes from living as a child of the king. Um, And shame is one of the things that we have to deal with to get to live this full measure of life. It's about the heart. We're not talking about behaviour modification. Not at all. We're talking about a full wholeness of heart that God can do and only God can do. So back to what God's doing here and now. We know that's coming up. You can register for that online. Um, So you can check it all out, see what we've written about it, pray about it and see if that's something for you. But what God is doing right here and now is the traffic cones are no match for Jesus. 
and they're no match for you. They don't really have any power except for what you agree to be true. And there's nothing good to be found there. There's nothing good to be found in continuing with shame and the way it plays out in daily life. It sucks. (laughs) Sorry about the recording and my Australianisms. Um, Because the Father has more for you. There are no slaves in his house. There's only children. Only children. And God is big enough. He's kind enough. He's powerful enough to walk you out into freedom, out of shame, step by step. He might do something powerful and a huge encounter in a moment. He might. But also we'll be walking this out day by day, thought by thought, minute by minute for the rest of our lives. Because this is something that the world, worldly sorrow, it would like to grab you and put you behind the traffic cones and live like the rest of the world lives, which is I'm inherently wrong and I have to cover up and pretend that I'm not. And Jesus has more for you. And if you know Jesus and you love him, let him do this for you. He would love to do this for you. He loves to bring freedom. It brings him joy to see you walk out of strongholds. And, you know, if you're here today and you haven't had an encounter with Jesus yet, I hope I've convinced you (laughs) that life with Jesus is worth it. And today might be your day. He's always said since the moment you were conceived, before you were even born, he said, it is very good. That is what your creator says of you. You have a loving creator who wants nothing more than a friendship relationship with you. But you have to come through Jesus. It's the only way. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) But, you know, we're going to have some time now to do business with God. And it might be that you've walked with Jesus for a long time and... But you know that you've kind of been living behind the cones in this half-strength kind of life. Or maybe you've never met Jesus and you can just sense a quickening in your heart now. You're like, okay, there's something happening in my spirit. I can sense something in the room. Maybe there's something to this. Um, and I really mean it. Like if, if it's anything I can tell you is that Jesus is real and life with him is 100% worth it. 100%. Um, so while the band is going gonna, is gonna to minister to us through this song with some really important truths in it, you know, if you need to accept, open your heart, do some business with God. I'm not saying he's going to do it all in a day, but there's a starting point, isn't there? Just like, okay, have I been making an agreement with lies that aren't of God's kingdom and has it been keeping me stuck? That's a really good place to start. Or do I need to meet Jesus again? Do I need to come to my senses? (laughs) Turn and face the Father and run for home because He'll be right there. His eyes are already on you, ready to welcome you. You know, I've never, ever once regretted it. Um, So while we sing this song, you know, if you need prayer, people that you've come with, people around you, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We can pray for each other in this. Um, If you you feel like you want to come up the front and really come before God and physically be in that space and, um, and do some business, you're welcome to do that as well.